You know, I'm passionate about church planting. It's what I've given my life to. But there's one thing that we must always ask. It isn't sufficient just to plant churches. It's the sort of churches that we plant that really make a difference. And we're going to be talking about the people that make a difference and the churches that make a difference. And we're going to settle for nothing less than what God intended us to be and for what he intended us to achieve. Um, we've been on a journey in Wyndham for uh, 12 years now. We started the church 12 years ago and we were passionate that this church would be a church where everyone was a true disciple of Jesus and did the things that Jesus did. And that we would have story after story of God's uh, great abundance of activity in the supernatural with us. And uh, we started slowly, we made many mistakes, we're still learning, we're still on the sort of uh, beginner slope. But we can honestly say that we, we see miracles um, most definitely weekly, often daily. And we will tell you just some of the things that we've experienced, and we love to bring those stories up to date. So let me tell you about Peter. Peter was a student at our School of Supernatural Life, and on the first day he arrived, on the beginning of the school, which runs over an academic year, he arrived on crutches. He had torn his Achilles tendon, and uh, he could not put any weight whatsoever on his foot. That's why he was having the crutches. And just in the coffee break, just after the first session, we just got round him, we just prayed for him, and uh, God instantly healed him. Wow. He was able to put his foot firmly on the ground, and uh, he, he, for the rest of the day, he did not need his crutches. <clears throat> so that's a great start to a school of supernatural life, isn't it? You've begun to experience it before you've learned how to do it. I mean, that's just great, isn't it? But let me bring you up to date, because at the end of this year, um, uh, 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 Peter had suffered considerably from COVID. In fact, he had caught it four times. I don't know if you've heard anybody who's done that, but he has. And he had many side effects. And the most recent side effect was that he had a, a severe ulcerated tongue. So bad that um, he was, in a week's time, going in for an operation in which they were going to remove a third of his tongue. Can you imagine what that's like? And um, uh, we uh, got round him, that uh, school, and prayed for him. We know his church were praying for him because they'd known just how difficult his life had been through these COVID bouts. And um, we all sort of combined together to pray for him. And um, about an hour later, later on in the day, he came up to me and he said, look, he got his phone, he said, this is a picture of my ulcerated tongue. And I tell you, I didn't want to look at it. It was so grotesque. It was, it was horrendous. And he said, Grantley, would you look into my mouth now? And I thought, I don't know what he wanted. I spied enough on the screen, let alone in real life. So he opened his mouth, I looked at his tongue, and it was totally whole. And I, 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 I sort of, I, my, I took my breath away and I thought, what? And I looked again, 
It was just normal, his time. So that was the Friday. On the following Thursday, he was, went to the hospital for the operation, and he walked into the consultant's room, and he said, I'm really thrilled that you've given me this um, appointment, but I won't need uh, an operation. I've been healed because my friends have prayed for me. And she was indignant. She said, I will be the judge of whether you need an operation or not. And um, he thought, oh, okay, okay, okay. So open your mouth. And as he opened his mouth, she just went, oh. Oh. Well, she said. He said, well, what should I do? And she said, I think you should tell your friends to keep praying for you. Because it obviously, in your case, works. And dismissed him. Just, that's just a great story, Peter. Let me tell you a story about Chris. Chris Day, he's a farm manager. And his goal is to see everybody saved in his um, farm, on his farm. Every labourer saved. That's his goal. Um, and uh, he witnesses openly but sensitively, and he prays for the sick. He loves praying for the sick. And an agronomist comes to the farm. That's somebody who knows all the expertise about growing crops. And he's a staunch atheist. He absolutely does not believe there is a God. And he, Chris has talked to him, and he won't have anything to do with uh, what Chris says. Um, but Chris notices that he's hobbling. And he's in severe pain because somehow he's damaged his uh, right knee. And Chris says to him, you know, I know a God who heals knees. He said, if you let me pray for you, you'll be healed. So the agronomist said, no, 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 I don't believe in your God. But then he made a fatal mistake. Because he said, just as a matter of interest, what would you do if you prayed for me? So Chris thought, this is my golden opportunity. So he said, this is what I would do. He said, I would get on my knee, on my knees next to you. I'd put my hand on your knee. And I would say, in the name of Jesus, be healed. As he said that, immediately his knee jerked, popped, and he was healed. Just like that. And the agronomist just looked at him. In disbelief. And Chris said, well that's what I would have done if I prayed for you. He said, but... The pain's gone. I can fully move my knee. He said, well, maybe there is a God. And maybe he loves you so much that he would heal your knee even when you don't believe him. And he said, I'm going to have to think about that, Chris. I'm going to have to think about that. These are just uh, last couple of weeks' stories. Don't you want to be in a church? Don't you want to be part of a community where that is happening all the time? And, and we will tell you stories of how that is continuing to happen. Hey, tell about David. Tell about David. No, I haven't got the thing on. No, put it on. <laughs>
We're recording, so that's what. We're doing a double act, so this is going to be taken off and taken on all the time, which is going to be fun, isn't it? Yeah, um, now this is a, a story from our, uh, our sister church in Thetford, in Norfolk, and Grant and I were down there a few weeks ago, and this lovely lady came forward to share the story of her son. Her son was uh, 15. She's a Brazilian lady, it's quite a large Portuguese and Brazilian community in Thetford. And uh, she and her family were over in Brazil um, a couple of years ago, I think. And um, when they were there, her 15-year-old son became very ill and he was diagnosed with um, bone marrow cancer. Um, and they weren't sure whether to come home or what to do, but she, lovely, lovely Christian lady, um, and she just felt God say, yeah, go home. So they flew home um, and um, he was immediately put under the care of a hospital in Cambridge, Adam Brooks Hospital, um, cancer specialists and um, the diagnosis was that he had such severe cancer in his bone marrow um, that it was uh, that the, the um, consultant said it was like a raging fire that was just spitting out cancer all over his body. He was 15 by the time he would be 16 that his body would be full of cancer and he would not see his 17th birthday. Uh, now this mother, I have to tell you I was so it really spoke to me so much. She just was like a lioness. And she actually said to the consultant, you may think I'm naive, but I'm a Christian. And I believe that God will heal my son. Amazing. And that lady, <coughs> excuse me, and her friends literally fought in prayer, day by day, week by week, month by month. And it took a long time. They went through chemo. Every time they said something, oh, this is going to affect him, this is going to this is going to be for life, or this is going to, you know, whatever. She said, no, I'm not going to take that. And she would break the words off of him that had been spoken over him that meant, you know, that were terminal. And she, she and her friend, she, she had a friend, a Brazilian lady, who I would love to spend time with because this lady really knows how to pray. Sometimes I think we've got a lot to learn about prayer, don't you? And I think our friends abroad sometimes have a greater handle on it and they knew how to just pray and, and they would call people together and they prayed and they and uh, the, the, at one point the doctor said well he's got such a huge tumour on his shoulder he had one there and he had a tumour in his pelvis um, and uh, they said they needed to operate on his shoulder but having done so he would never be able to use that arm again he would be permanently disabled and she said well I'm, I'm not having that and break that off of you, you know we're not going to have that and they went after that they did a lot of praying about um, things in, his, in their background, their family background, but they went after it. They would not accept it. She fought like a lioness. It was so impressive. And um, finally, uh, th this year, um, David had uh, another whole body scan, and uh, then they did an investigation about his bone marrow, which they had said, as I said, was just like a fire chucking cancer out through his body um, and he had this scan and then they went back for the results um, on June the 9th this year and uh, the doctor looked at the results and he said um, well no there's no tumour in your shoulder anymore there is no tumour in his pelvis anymore and the nurse jumped in because the doctor didn't say anything else. So she, she said, and there is no cancer in your bone marrow. It's completely healed. Yes, it's worse. Yeah. And David has 
gone back to school. You know, he had a diagnosis that was utterly grim, totally fatal. But that mother said, God is bigger than this. She believed, and it was just so amazing. And we love that story because that was a really, really, you know, in terms of situations, that's about as bad as it gets, you know. And uh, isn't God amazing? God's able to do anything. There's nothing, it's one of our core values at school. We teach four core values. One of them is nothing is impossible for God. Nothing. That's amazing, right? Hand back. Wonderful. As I said, we are passionate about building a church that looks like Jesus. And when people encounter the church, then they experience Jesus and they come under the true gospel of the kingdom. And uh, this, this year alone, we've seen uh, 17 people saved already, many of those as a result of miracles um, and in our sort of day-to-day activities so we have a mums and toddlers group and uh, uh, just through uh, through prayer praying for her uh, ministering to her she came along to church just a couple of weeks ago and on our first visit got saved isn't that glorious okay we had a, another a person who came to our food club we have um, a food bank type arrangement to help people in the depths of poverty, and uh, we were able to lead a, a guide to the Lord right in the middle of, um, of the food club. That's how church should be. Not that we're just caring and serving, that we should be, but there is always the opportunity to minister in the Spirit, to encounter these people with the truth of the Gospel and a revelation of the power of God, and lives get changed, don't they? And we want to just impart something to you of that. That is what church is meant to be. Anything less than that is not authentic. And we need to give ourselves to being authentic. And it will take years in some cases. But if you set your face and accept nothing less, then you will see the goodness of God. In the land of the living, aren't you? So, we're going to start with the first session uh, today and uh, what we've called um, the uh, Apostolic Foundations of Signs and Wonders. uh, Or also, we're going to talk about um, the method of our mission, or our mission and our method. That's what we're going to be looking at uh, this evening. And then uh, tomorrow, we're going to be looking at in being empowered by the Spirit, we're going to be looking at one of the major obstacles to seeing signs and wonders and having faith and believing. And then we're going to finish up tomorrow with uh, how we can build a faith-adventuring community, which I think is probably the most practical side of how we can structure church so that we can see the things that we're telling you about uh, and you can be part of the story. But let me just give you a scripture, because in a sense, this scripture sums up why I do what I do and why Floss does what she does. It's Psalm 71, verse 17 and 18. Since my youth, my God, you have taught me, and to this day I declare your marvellous deeds. When I became a Christian, I came 
instantly into a charismatic environment where signs and wonders existed. And I thank God that I was birthed in that environment. So yes, from my youth, you've taught me and I seek to declare it. Even when I'm old and grey, that's now, do not forsake me, my God, till I declare your power to the next generation. Your mighty acts to all those who are to come. That's what we're doing tonight. That's what we're doing over this weekend. We're just imparting to you what we have experienced, what we know. This is not theory. This is, this is true reality. This is how we live our lives. And if we can live like that, so can you. And we want to tell these stories to stir you, provoke you, to raise your faith and to cause you to take risks, to be courageous and go for it. And if that's achieved this weekend, then we've done a great job amongst you. Okay. I want to sort of start by saying that we have a very definite kingdom vision. And we want you to grasp that. Uh, perhaps in relational mission, we use the terms, we want to be witnesses in words, works, and wonders. But at the heart of that is a kingdom perspective and kingdom vision. One of the uh, books that we recommend on our school is a book by Alan Scott. It's uh, just a, a phenomenal book and I would highly recommend, if you've never read it, to do so. It's called Scattered Servants and it's a game changer, I believe, because not only is it full of uh, wonderful stories, it, it shows how a church can actually uh, put into practice the call to live like Jesus. This is a quote from Alan Scott. It is time to unlock kingdom identity, kingdom authority, and kingdom ministry. It is time to unleash the power of everyone, everywhere, every day, so that the church begins to fill every city, every industry, every family with the beauty and story of Christ. Isn't that brilliant? What a quote. That is what this week is all about. That God can use you, he can use you anywhere, and he can use you uh, every day. That's what we believe. And when the church grasps that truth, it will radically change the environment around it. It will change the culture. And that's, this is what's so important. Sadly, we only have faith that believes that people can have a strong enough faith to ward off the cultural pressures that they're in in the 21st century postmodern world. We can survive. That's the faith that we've got. You know, we can build church in a structure that will help you to survive. I don't see that in scripture. I don't see that in Jesus. I don't see that in the early church. They didn't just survive culture. They transformed and changed it because they brought the rule and reign of the kingdom wherever they were. Radically taking what was one of the most secular, most um, godless cultures of its day, far more promiscuous 
that even we today, and boy, have we slipped. And yet the church was in that culture and it changed and transformed it. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes all we've got a faith for is that somebody will, will hold on to their faith and serve in the local church. Now, I love people serving in the local church. Don't get me wrong. But if that's our goal, we are to be pitied. We are to be pitied. No. We are advancing army. We are here to transform and change. The world is locked into the lies of the enemy. We need to expose those lies and declare the truth and demonstrate the truth by the way that we live, by the things that we do, and the world will be changed. So we have a kingdom perspective and we want to just impart that or strengthen that in you um, this weekend. I just want to bring a bit of a health warning to you, okay? That weekends like this and conferences, um, they change people. So I remember I went to a conference in Brighton when uh, Terry was doing a leadership conference regularly at, uh, in Brighton. And I went to it and there was a, this character, Dr. Krianzak Karyemwanza. What a name, eh? And uh, he shared just three sessions with us. And it was Paul's missionary method. How Paul planted churches, what the churches looked like that he planted. And what he had done, he had read the scriptures, particularly Acts, saw how, how Paul did it and thought, I wonder if that will work in my homeland of Thailand. And so he did. He used to go to a town, look for the sickest person that he could find, pray for them, they get healed, they tell their friends, he'd invite them to a meeting, they then, he'd then share the gospel, they get saved, they would then go on and tell their friends, and they'd plant a church. And he'd planted many churches by the time he came to speak. And I remember listening to him, and I, I knew this was a seminal moment in my life. That from that moment on, I was going to do what this man did. I didn't know that just a short while later, God was going to give me a prophetic word. I was in my study praying, and God just gave me this word. Grantly, your church is going to plant 10 churches, and, uh, and you're going to be engaged in that ministry for your life. And we had, what, 80 people. That was it. Counting kids, 80 people. And I foolishly went to my fellow leaders and said, look, I think this is what God said to me. I'm sure you won't uh, think it's God. But anyway, this is what I said. They said, no, we think that's God. We think that's God. Yeah, that's God. So I said, look, we need to bring this to the church. And so we brought the church in and said, this might seem crazy. There's only 80 of us, but God wants us to plant 10 churches in Norfolk. Um, What do you think? Is this God? And they said, this is God. And I'm, I'm, I'm blown away. I'm just thinking, whoa, whoa, yeah. <coughs> Wyndham was the 10th church we planted. 12 years ago, we reached that target and have gone beyond it. Conferences can change your life. So we're just going to take a pause for a moment. 
I'm just going to dare you to do something. And that's this. Ask God to so mess with your life that you'll never be the same. Now that's not something to be done glibly. That's something to be done soberly and seriously. But let's just, let's just close our eyes. You may not, not be able to go the whole way with this, but whatever step you can take is all I'm asking you to do. So in your version, just express to God, God, I'm willing to change. I'm willing for you to mess with my life. I'm willing for you to redirect me. I'm willing for you to challenge me. I'm willing to be transformed by what I hear over this weekend. Just use your own words. I'm not going to pray anything out. I just want you to just do that now. In silence, just do that. Lord Jesus, you've heard the prayers of each individual. And I just say, Amen, to each one of them, in Jesus' name. Amen. Naomi and Milos, Milos is from Serbia, uh, were with uh, a dear couple, two Serbians, and uh, they were in deep distress. They were in deep distress because they had tried to have a child, but been totally unsuccessful. They tried everything, IVF, everything. Nothing had worked. Nothing was working. There was no hope. And Naomi Milosh just courageously said, look, we know a God who has a track record of taking barren wounds and filling them. Can we pray for you? They're not Christians. But these Serbians said, yeah, you can pray for us. We've tried everything. What have we got to lose, really, was their attitude. We've got nothing to lose. And so they just simply just put their hands on her womb and just said, God, fill. Fill this. Fill this. In under a year, they were holding a beautiful baby boy. Barrenness to fruitfulness. That's what this weekend is all about. If you've not seen the sort of stories that we're telling you about, then I want to tell you, God wants to take barrenness and bring fruitfulness. And so I speak over your life as if it was a womb and say, God, bring fruitfulness to everyone in this room. Everyone in this room. Jesus. Jesus.
I'm just conscious of time for us. So I'm going to probably hand over to you to start. Okay. So let's, um, we're going to miss a bit just because of time. And we're going to um, go straight into uh, Floss defining what our mission is. And then what is our method? What has God called us to do? And how has he called us to achieve it? Right. Okay, so that's always very helpful if, you, if you're going to be given a mission that actually know what it is, isn't it? So when Tom Cruise gets his mission given to him, they do tend to spell it out in words of one syllable, don't they? And they tell him what he's got to do and what, who he's going to have to help him and all that sort of stuff. So it's really important. And actually that is exactly the same for us. We have a mission, we all know that, but actually we've really got to be sure exactly what that mission is. And, um, you know, we believe that actually right from the very beginning of time, from the very start of mankind being on this earth, God gave us a mission. He commissioned us. And it's in, uh, you know, it begins in Genesis. Uh, Genesis 1, 27 to 28 is, is God's commissioning. And I'll read it to you. It says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, and this is a, the, the mission, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. That's our commission. God wanted his rule and reign to be extended over the whole of the earth. That is our mission. You know, and so that's in Genesis, and then it carries on, and God repeated it and expanded it when he spoke to Abraham. And he said this in Genesis 12, I will make you into a great nation, and don't forget, Abraham had no child at this time. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. It is the most extraordinary story when you read the story of Abraham. I'm just reading Genesis at the moment. Just as wonderful, isn't it? And, uh, you know, as good as dead, it says, doesn't it, in the New Testament about Abraham and his wife. But God did it, didn't he? And that was the, that was the mission that he gave to Abraham, that actually you're going to affect the whole earth. It's not just a small thing. And then when the, you know, the new covenant comes, actually, it doesn't change, but the language brings even more detail to it, really. And so in Matthew 6, verse 9, this is what Jesus said. This is then how you're to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven on earth as it is in heaven. That's our mission. That we're to bring heaven down to earth. We're to make the earth look more and more like heaven every day of our lives until we go, go to glory or until Jesus comes back. And when Jesus comes back, the earth is going to be full of his glory. Isn't it? That's what's going to happen. Yeah, come on. And, uh, and I think we just, we, we just lose sight of that, I think, so often, don't we? And John Ortberg... Um, 
is a great writer, and he, he wrote this. Many people think uh, the only real reason Jesus came to earth was to die on the cross. And you might think, well, of course, that's absolutely true. But then he goes on to say, but death on the cross was just one part of his mission. His overall mission was to bring the reality of God's presence and power over all the earth. Yeah. We don't just need people to know that they're sinners and that Jesus had to die on the cross for them. We need them to know that they're released from sin and shame and guilt so that they can go and be God's sons and daughters and bring the kingdom down to earth, don't we? That's what we want. And that is our mission. And um, we had the great privilege of, of going over to America and we went to Bethel Church in Reading in California and we heard somebody over there when we were at a conference and it was really quite shocking. And he said this, he said, um, most Christians are only about 30% as effective as they could be. Don't get, he's talking to leaders from all over the world. And it's a bit like, oh, you know, um, why is that? All these leaders have given themselves, and we're all, you know, when you get to a conference and you, you just sit back and you think, wow, that was hard work for the last year, but I'm now going to, you know, receive a And he's saying, I'm only been a 30% as effective as I could be. Why is that? And this is what he said, because they're trying to build the church, which is Jesus' task, instead of bringing in the kingdom. Jesus said he would build his church, but he gave us the responsibility to bring the kingdom, didn't he? And, um, you know, that is exactly what we're aiming. That's what we're teaching our students in the School of Supernatural Life, and that's what they're beginning to learn to do. And over the seven years that we've been doing it, we've seen people's tra lives transformed. And in, in our church, we've just seen amazing things happen. But, you know, what we want to say is that we, we need, like I told you the story of David, it has to be contended for. And um, we, we had a story in the church quite a few years ago, well, it's actually when we were still in, in the meeting in high school, we've got our own building now, but we had a lovely lady who, um, I prayed with her one Sunday morning, she shared with me, and she just shared that she'd got one child, and she was just having such difficulty having the second one, she kept having miscarriages, and she felt, she thought she was pregnant again, well, in fact, she knew she was pregnant again, but she was so full of fear, because every other pregnancy had, had, had ended. And she just said, I don't want to be fearful. I don't want just to be living every day in fear. She went on the Alpha course and they prayed for her. Well, I think they prayed for her and that's how she got pregnant, actually. Yeah. Um, so they prayed for her, she got pregnant. Then, she, was, then she, she needed us to pray for her to keep that baby. And so we did. And we battled and that baby grew and grew and she kept the baby. And then we were on holiday, but we knew she was due. And we came back from a holiday and we heard and Kirstie's had the baby. And we were, it was just such a thrill. So we came back, I think we came back Monday and Saturday, and on the Sunday we went to church, and then when we got to church, we had a, you know, a, a message to say, please pray. Um, Kirsty's baby is so severely ill, they've got it in neonatal intensive care, and they don't think the baby will live. Um, and so we just as a church prayed, and I, we remember at the end of the service, her life group just got around and they were just coming before God and just weeping before God and just coming and just wrestling in prayer for that baby and then very very soon after that you know a matter of hours we'd heard that actually the baby had come right through she was able to come out of intensive care that they'd said that she would she would never uh, live to be very um, old because she had a defective heart um, 
Kirsty took her for a, a routine appointment many, many months later, and they scanned her heart and they said, no, there's no problem with her heart. Come on, you know, yes. Amazing. And you know, we do have to contend with things. I think sometimes we forget that it's a battle and we have to contend for actually being people of the spirit as well. Um, and I think sometimes we, we just think it's easy, but we, you know, it's, it's tough. We have to keep going. Um, and we'll talk to you more about that tomorrow. But that's, that's our mission, is to bring the kingdom of heaven down to us, to make what around us more like heaven than it is at the moment. So if that's our mission, how do we accomplish it? Okay. Um, I think... Well, we believe that Jesus is perfect theology. Do you believe that? Jesus is perfect theology. It's quite, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a phrase that's quite common now. It just means that the way Jesus did things and what Jesus said is right. Okay, so if, the, if we've got our mission, surely we need to find out from Jesus the way to do it. Okay, so this is what Jesus did. It says in Matthew 4, 23, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Word and spirit. Preaching, teaching, healing every disease, every disease. And so Jesus was training his disciples to accomplish this mission. How did he train them? Well, in those days, the rabbis, their method of training their students was, uh, come and listen to what I say, and then watch what I do, and do what I do. And, you know, actually Jesus talks about this. He says to his own disciples, a pupil is not above his teacher or rabbi, but everyone without exception, after he has been fully trained, will be exactly like his teacher. Okay? And Jesus said also in John 13, for I gave you an example that you should also do exactly as I did it. Okay? So that's how we're to do it. We're to replicate Jesus' mission. And there's lots and lots of scriptures to, tell, to say that. Um, and uh, in the end, you know, Jesus said, go into all the world, preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved and whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. If we want to do bring in the kingdom, we need to do it the king's way. Okay? And Randy Clark's written some amazing books and he's an incredible healing evangelist. And he said this, In the days of Jesus and the first disciples, the power for signs, wonders, healings, miracles and deliverance was not just to authenticate the message. This power was the expression of the message. Signs and wonders were not just performed to validate the good news. They were a vital element of the good news itself. The good news. That's what it looks like. Okay. Brilliant. So our mission, should we choose to accept it, as they say, the Mission Impossible, is to take the rule and reign of our Lord Jesus into every dimension of society. Uh, we had a lady who shared this testimony in the school. She said, I, I started a new job, 
Uh, I went into the office, it was an open plan office, 14 people in this office, or she was the 14th person in the office. She said, the atmosphere, you could cut it like a knife. Nobody uh, enjoyed the office, nobody worked for one another, they were all bickering, arguing, uh, and it was a toxic place to work. She said, if, if I'd known it was like that, I would have never gone and taken the job. And when she got home, she was complaining to God, and God said to her, well, why don't you change it? She said, well, how do I change it? She said, well, look, I'm going to give you a prophetic word for every person in your office, 13 of them. You're going to write it down. You're going to get to the office before anybody else does. You're going to put them on the particular desk that I tell you to do so and uh, see what happens. So that's what she does. Because she's committed to the kingdom. And so she lays uh, on the desk words for every person in her office. And they start, as they come in, they look at this, what's this? They start reading it. And suddenly she could tell that the atmosphere was suddenly changing. They began to talk to one another. Did you get something on your desk? What did it say about you? It was all, in a sense, not put in religious jargon, but in worldly terms, all the promises of God for a person. It totally transformed her office. And when they discovered it was her, she was able to tell them about the God that inspired her to do it. Do you see how the kingdom works? Yep. It take, it's taking responsibility in every aspect of our lives to bring something of the Lord Jesus into that situation. James Callas, the theologian, said this, the command to go out and preach the kingdom of God is never, not once, separated from the command to heal and cast out demons. So, I don't know if you ever employed somebody like this, but we have employed somebody whose task is evangelist and worker of miracles. That's what he's called to do. Well, he's called to lead us in that. Yeah. We're all called to do it. But that's, that's his job title and description. Because we're so committed to this stuff. We're not playing with it. We're not just giving it a weekend. We are living it. We're going on the line for it. We, yes, we, we are sometimes very vulnerable and exposed, but we are continually living at that stage. Because that's what we're committed to seeing accomplished through us and in us. So the normal Christian life of expanding the kingdom will include us taking risks to see the supernatural take place. We have a principle now, we didn't used to have it, we do now, that every social action that we do will have people uh, uh, leading it who can pray for the sick, see healing and bring deliverance and share the gospel. If they can't do that, then they don't come on, they don't lead the project. That is what they are meant to do. Because though Jesus did social action, you look at it, every dimension of his social action was supernatural. And so we need those elements in every aspect of what we are doing. In fact, the early church grasped it so much, they made some outrageous statements about it. 
This is Paul in 1 Corinthians 2. Now remember, Paul was one of the most intelligent people on the planet. He would have got a double first in Oxford. That's the sort of calibre of intellect that Paul had. If you wanted an argument with Paul, you would lose. Okay? But this is what he says. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. You know, I was reading this many years ago, and God really spoke to me. He said, Grantly, how much time do you spend preparing your sermons? You know, gathering the wisdom to impart to others on a Sunday. How much time? Reading, background stuff, research. How much time, Grantly? It was a lot of time. Then he said, how much time do you spend in equipping yourself in the power of the Spirit? Because if you spend so much time in words, all you will give people is words. But if you spend your time in the Spirit, you will give them wonders. And Paul clearly had to discipline his natural bent for wisdom, teaching, expounding, because he wanted people's faith not to be based solely on wisdom. In fact, not primarily on wisdom, but on the power of God. I think the Western church would radically be different if it actually applied what Paul put into practice in the early church. Well, in fact, he goes on to make some even more outrageous statements. Paul was having a problem in his church in Corinth. There were these so-called super apostles who had come in and were now taking leadership over in the church that he planted. And he was going to have none of this. And how did he authenticate his own ministry and bring doubt on their ministry? Let me show you how he did it. This is 1 Corinthians 4. But I come to you very soon, if the Lord is willing. And then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, these super-apostles, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. In other words, we let the Corinthians judge who are, who's the true apostle of this church. And it's not going to be a preaching contest. It's going to be a signs and wonders contest. I don't think many church leaders would say that today. In fact, this is what Paul says about apostles. 2 Corinthians 12. I persevered in demonstrating among you the marks of a true apostle. Signs, wonders, 
miracles. Yeah, one of my concerns today is that there are too many people who are calling themselves apostles who never minister or rarely minister in signs, wonders and miracles. It's hardly part of their lives. And yet they have huge followings. To me, that is not the authentic sign of an apostle. But when you meet one, you'll know them. Because the way they minister in, in power, in signs and wonders, marks them out to truly be apostles. That's just a little aside. I want to say this, and it may sound controversial, but it is absolutely true. Miracles, signs and wonders are not just given by God to us to prove the gospel. And traditionally, if they're accepted at all, that's how they're seen. So it's like this. We have many tools to get people saved. We, we can preach. We can perhaps do alpha or another apologetics type approach. Or we can use signs and wonders. That is not how the scriptures see it. That is not how they explain what the gospel is. Let me prove this to you. This is Romans 15. This is again Paul speaking. And he's going to say something really radical. And I want you to grasp it. Because when I grasp this, deeply changed my life. This is what he says in verse um, 18 to 20, Romans 15. For I will not venture to speak of anything except for what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. How did that happen? By words and deeds. By the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way round to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition, the gospel. So what is Paul saying? Paul is saying this, I preach the gospel through this whole area and that was sufficient. That is the gospel. No. That's most definitely what he's not saying. He was saying for the gospel to ring out fully, to be fully fulfilled in the presence of other people in a huge geographical area, it is not sufficient just to preach, but to do. And to see the extraordinary power of God released to a human being with signs and wonders and miracles. See, signs and wonders are not optional extras. They are the gospel. They are the gospel. When we are healing someone, it is the gospel. Preaching is wonderful. I have the highest regard for preaching. Otherwise I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing right now. 
be a waste of my time. But if it isn't accompanied by signs, wonders, miracles, then I'm not fully proclaiming the gospel. There's aspects of the gospel that are silent because the signs and wonders are not there. And yet we think it's hard enough to go out and just speak about Jesus. I'm raising the bar. Aren't you glad you came? I'm raising the bar and saying, that isn't all that we are meant to do. We are meant to bring the power of God present in the lives of people. He's an amazing God. He really is. So we were doing a weekend like this. In fact, it's just me because Frost wasn't able to come on this one. And um, uh, we prayed for a man on the Friday night. On the yes, on the Friday night. Um, sorry, on the Saturday night we finished. Uh, we prayed for him because he was almost totally deaf, and we really just felt the power of God on him. And uh, off he went. And uh, on the Sunday we came to do the service, and um, just in the middle of the worship. This man that we prayed for uh, got up and came to the front. He said, uh, can I share something? We didn't know what he was going to share. But we took the risk and gave him the microphone. And he started with these words. He said, um, I didn't want to come today. In fact, I wasn't going to come today. The reason being is that we're in this room and it, the echo is so bad that I, even with my hearing aids, I couldn't hear I spent Saturday not hearing. And that's not very pleasant. I'm thinking, where's this going? I mean, you know. He said, um, but I woke up this morning and I turned to my bedside cabinet and I went to pick up my hearing aids and they weren't there. He said, that has never happened in my life. I am, I am meticulous. I always lay them down by the side of my bed and they weren't there. So I looked under the bed, I looked under the cupboard, I looked everywhere. I then just remembered my steps when I came in that Saturday night. I went to all the places I went into my house. I could not find my hearing aids. They were completely uh, gone. Nowhere. He said, then as I stood there pondering that I couldn't find my hearing aids, I suddenly realised that for the first time for many years I could hear. And I'm here this morning to tell you that I still haven't found my hearing aids, but I don't care anymore because I'm healed. That's our God. That's our God. He's that glorious. And he's that good. And when we grasp our mission and our method, then we will be the dangerous people that God always intended us to be. You know, we're not sharing anything that's that new to you. You've probably heard all of this before. But we dare to believe that we have an anointing that allows you to grasp the significance of what you're hearing and for it to change your life. Otherwise, we wouldn't do this stuff.
We dare to believe that what we share with you can so impact you that you can say, yes, Jesus, just like Paul, I'm going to live. I'm going to live like Jesus. Plus mentioned, we have people in our school who have been totally transformed. One lady is a lady called Sarah who was so shy and so um, inadequate. She felt so inadequate and such a low self-esteem. She wouldn't even pray out loud. Just couldn't pray out loud. Just too much for her. So that was the starting place. We've had people in our school that the worship would start and they'd, they'd go to the back of the room and, and cry because they just felt so useless as a Christian. And then to see them emerge and blossom in and Sarah is now one of our leaders on the day school. Prays for people, prophesies for people, prays for people to be baptised in the Spirit, prays in tongues over people. You think, how has this all happened? Because they've grasped their mission. And they've grasped how it's accomplished. And they dare to believe that as a child son or daughter of the living God they can do this stuff because that's who you are that's who you truly are princes and princesses of the living God with such authority Satan has no authority only the authority we have given him and it's time to take that back and exercise the authority that he has given us for the sake of the world. For the sake of those voices that we've been hearing in the background. Because that is the only thing that will change them. Let's pray. <coughs> Father, we come to you right now and say... We want the word of God to burn within us and dwell within us richly. And may the scriptures that we've looked at today inspire us to live our lives in a very radically different way, just as Paul did. Believing that it wasn't sufficient just to use words, but that the kingdom comes as we in the Spirit do the things that Jesus did. Heal the sick. Give sight to the blind. Deaf hearing. Lame walking. Dead raised. Demons cast out. We pray, Lord God, that at this weekend you would increasingly teach us to live like you and increase our hunger for obedience in Jesus name Amen sorry I'm five minutes